failure is a part of life. It is. The question is, can you recover? If you can recover, you're going to be okay. Look, I realized it a while ago. Life is not about being perfect. Nobody can do it perfect. It's just, can you make the curve? Can you make the curve and keep on uh, going? So uh, there's there's hope for you <laughs> right now. Do you remember that? that um, it was kind of like a trend, I don't know, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, all the uh, fails, 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 fails. There was websites about it, apps, uh, little uh, uh, emojis about it, pictures, stickers, uh, T-shirts, and um, giffies. Is that what you call them, giffies? I don't know, those GIF things? that you can send somebody a text. But you had people uh, inside of Walmart, outside, <laughs> outside of Walmart, in the neighborhoods, uh, getting getting themselves in bad situations. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to go through the list here of things that I remember seeing that happened in those fails, but it happens to everybody. Uh, the question is, don't be around when there's cameras present and you'll be just fine, right? <laughs> but everybody's failed. But the question is, can you recover? And that has been on my mind lately. It it seems like the world has failed a lot lately. It it really has. This decade, the the, the 20s. I hope it's not the, uh, the failing decade, the 20s. If that's what it's <laughs> uh, hopefully not doomed to be known for. You know, I want the 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 prevailing 2020s is what I want. But yeah, with the uh, COVID-19 lockdowns, uh, the economic situations, um, uh, the the blocking of the supply chain, all of that, and this uh, the wars going on, all other types of things. There's a lot of fails, a lot of setbacks. Uh, the question is, can you recover? Can you recover? And I think we can, and I've got some ideas here for you that I think are really going to bless you. Um, I haven't been playing much golf lately. Um, I really got into it 10 years ago, and and uh, I, I wouldn't say I got good, but I improved drastically. It was fun. But I don't know. The last couple of years, I just really haven't wanted to play, and I'm sure that'll pick back up sometime in the near future. It's a fun game. And what I discovered is... You, know, you look at these PGA players, and my goodness, how they can just pound the ball and just dial that ball in accurately and get those green and regulations and those one putts and just keep those scores nice and low. And something that I have observed uh, about PGA players, you know, they mess up. They do. They hit it into the trees. <laughs> they, they hit it into the woods. They get bad shots. They hit it into the bunker. Sometimes they three-putt, all that stuff. The thing that makes them different between us, the schmucks, the weekend average golfers <laughs> with handicaps, you know, is that PGA golfers, they can recover. See, if I hit it into the trees, I'm going to be in the trees a while. They hit it in the trees one shot, <laughs> carve that ball out of the trees and onto the green. Remember when Bubba Watson did that at the Masters, that like impossible shot? That ball came flying out of the out of the trees like a boomerang right there on the green. It's just amazing. I mean, and those guys are freaks. You know, it's just incredible to watch. But they can recover. 
And that's what you got to learn how to do. Because you are going to fail. It is a part of life. You are going to mess up. You are going to do it wrong. Whether it's for your life personally, your family, your church, your career, your friends, you're going to do something wrong. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You are going to make mistakes, and can you recover from that? Look, my first car was a small little pickup truck, and I loved that car. It was a little five-speed little truck. Got it when I was uh, uh, 17, saved up money, got myself a truck, drove that truck my first year at Bible College, and it was great. Uh, Two problems. Number one, you could only fit, well, (laughs) legally two people in it. Sometimes we'd squeeze in three, sometimes four. I think that was the max I had in that car, uh, in that truck at one point. Uh, I One time at my freshman year of Bible college, it was a rough winter there at St. Louis, and me and like eight other guys piled into my little truck, and we went driving through the neighborhood there near the Bible college, and we dumped a bunch of snow in the in the back and the tail and uh, had a big snowball fight with some neighborhood kids. The neighborhood kids won, by the way. You know, probably because they had forts and were behind trees. We were just there in a truck. But I, I had a lot of great memories in that truck, but a couple problems. I couldn't get everybody in there that I wanted to whenever we'd go out and have fun. Another thing is when it was time for people to move or have uh, something they needed to be transported, guess who they called? Bustin' Justin. And I kind of got tired of that. And so I drove that, that truck for three or four years. It was a great truck. No problems. Just kept the oil changed. It was great, great great a vehicle for A to B. I recommend that, by the way, for guys. First vehicle, a little five-speed truck, if they still make them. I don't know. So my, my next car, I got a um, a Nissan Maxima. It was a it was a 2000. I bought it in 01, and uh, I loved that car. It was great. But you know that first summer after I got that car, what I did, I was at Missouri District Camp Meeting. And me and some guys were out joyriding after after service, after the restaurant one night, and I was just uh, <laughs> going really fast through an old abandoned parking lot or an abandoned mall in the parking lot. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. Wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. Come up over a hill, and I think we got air. I think we came like five inches off the ground. Hit the ground, and out of nowhere was a, uh, a parking block. You know those blocks they put sometimes in parking, parking lots of big long thing of concrete I hit that going about 80 miles an hour I mean I saw sparks come up in my rearview mirror and I blew out all the tires and broke the axle and and tons of other things it was just horrible it was just horrible I got out looked at my car and I just like you know there's guys there other people there so I didn't cry but I wanted to just sit out and cry but I, I took it like a man right so I it was my first car accident Got the tow truck out there. They got it to enter the the place. Thank God for Bishop Steve Williford, who in St. Louis knew the area, recommended a a great mechanic, great body shop. Got it all fixed up, and it, it was just it was just a failure, fail because I was out trying to have fun, out joyriding, and I learned my lesson after that that cars aren't toys. If you're on a racetrack, fine, do it. It's what it's made for. But when you're in a parking lot on the street, in the road, uh, drive your car like a man. Uh, the days of, you know, if you're you're in a place, you know, in your city where cars are known to race, that's fine. Peel out, do that. But in parking lots, I don't care if they're abandoned, you're going to have 
uh, things <laughs> over hills that you don't know that are there that could really mess up your car. So I don't drive crazy, stupid, trying to have a good time in the neighborhoods. No, you need to get your seatbelt on and drive very responsibly. Thankfully, I didn't hit anybody. Thankfully, I didn't go flying through uh, some glass windows <laughs> in one of those stores. So there, a lot more could have gone wrong, but thankfully, only my car was damaged. I wasn't hurt, and praise God, nobody else was hurt. And so, uh, yeah, so I failed, but I recovered. And you know what? I drove that car for 15 years and got 300,000 miles on it. <laughs> That's right. I took Sister G on a first date in that car. Uh, a lot of great things just have happened in that car, and I, I miss that car, to tell you the truth. But, I mean, I drove it into the ground when it couldn't be driven anymore. So, yeah, even though uh, that first month I had it, I that car took a beating, but we recovered. We recovered, and I learned my lesson. I've never uh, driven like a maniac ever again in my life and never blew out my tires and broke the axle and anything. So I learned. I learned and I recovered and we're doing great. You are listening to Justin C. Gleason. Please consider following and keeping this podcast playing in the background of your productive day. Give a five-star rating and support by giving through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. It's 2022, the year we prevail. <laughs> Samson has been on my mind lately for this podcast. I think a lot of us are right where he is at. A lot of us feel like we're having to fight alone. Nobody with us, nobody around us. And it's not because we don't have any friends. It's not because we don't have support or, a, you know, the support system, right? All of us do. We do. But it seems like God has placed a lot of people in a place where they feel like they're having to fight alone, and it's a, it's by design. God is wanting to know, can it just be you and God right now? Can you solely depend upon God and your walk with him to fight, to accomplish, to conquer, uh, to move forward, and to prosper? And you really feel like that um, in a lot of times around this time of the year when the school year begins, because school is not about teamwork. I know those teachers try. By the way, I can't st- when I was in school, I couldn't stand group activity. I couldn't stand teamwork. And I think people are starting to speak their minds about that. I was scrolling through social media, and in one of our Christian colleges, I saw a picture somebody took of students in the class. And it wasn't young students. It was like a lot of older students uh, seeking for uh, higher education, like their masters and stuff. And they all had these, they all took out a piece of paper or their iPads and, and wrote in big letters, no group work. And, and had it up over their heads, pointing it right at their professor. And it's a professor who is known for, like, group work. <laughs> They're all saying, we paid big money to hear you talk, not talk to each other. We're sick of the group work. <laughs> yeah, some of us want to uh, get it done alone, fight alone, make it happen alone, get educated, get a career, get married, all of that, do it all on our own. We don't want to be set up with on a date. We don't want a blind date. We don't want to be set up. We want to f- figure it out on our own, right? Uh, we don't know what anybody putting in a good word and getting us a job. We want to get out and do it alone. You you do that. You work alone. You fight alone. You're going to get the best for yourself. That I can tell you. Believe me. Samson lived in a his generation. It was a dark time. The Book of Judges. You know, if I when I when I was a youth pastor and we had uh, like a goth kid coming to youth group, I could tell he was kind of interested in God but didn't know where to start. 
I told him, I said, man, skip over Genesis, skip over Exodus, go right to Judges. And the reason is it's probably the darkest uh, book of the Bible, and you'll love it. And you, and you know what? I was right. It really was a word of wisdom. And I tell that to people who just, I don't know, uh, darkness and chaos, they're really um, Edgar Allan Poe in their life. If they will just go to the book of Judges, they'll find themselves in those characters. But it's a dark book because it was a time of intense sin and rebellion, a generation that rose up and did not even know the Lord, a generation when there was no king and everyone did. Uh, Who is texting me? I can't silence this phone. Okay, we'll be all right. Uh, So anyway, a generation that knows not the Lord, there was no king and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. I mean, you got people like Jephthah who said, God, if you will give me victory, where when, when I come home, the first thing that, that I see, I'll give it to you. And his, So he gets the victory over the enemy, comes back home, and his daughter comes out, and he has to offer unto the Lord. I mean, I'm talking about stuff like that, dark times. And the book of Judges, it's like uh, even just a little glimmer of righteousness. It's like everybody's clapping it, you know, it's and celebrating it. And you got <laughs> to... You got to take what you get. So anytime there was just a little glimmer of faith or a, a little hope and opportunity, they were great because the, the whole nation was taken over with idol worship. And there was no king, a prophet here and there, a man of God here and there, an angel here and there. Really, all they had was judges. And in dark times, it's time to be judgmental. That's right. Discernment of the times. That's what God raised up. And maybe we are in a period like the judges. You know, there, there has been the past five to seven years this uh, slogan, this mantra out there, judgment-free, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And I think I've figured out what's going on here. It didn't come out of the church. It came out of the world, and it was essentially, uh, let me get away with my sin, and don't judge so sin can creep into your life. The don't judge is designed to break down your natural sense of surveillance as a righteous person. Sin wants to get into your mind. It wants to get into your heart. It wants to get into your marriage. It wants to get into your home. You know what? I say judge. Yes, I even dare say stereotype. If something doesn't look right, if something doesn't feel right, you don't have to wait for uh, them to take action. No, put up the walls, put up the barriers, and protect yourself at all times. Uh, That's what I say. It's my show. I can say it. If that that offends you, roll it back. Listen to it again. Let it offend you some more. I don't care. Uh... (laughs) Judgment is a part part of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost judges. The Holy Ghost deciphers. The Holy Ghost determines what is right and what is wrong. And when you have it, that Holy Ghost will speak to you about that. And so that's what all these judges did in Israel. They were raised up to determine uh, what was right and what was wrong and sniff it out. They they were designed to not accept uh, the pagan lifestyle that was welcome into their land. They were not... Uh, they, they rose up and judged and said, these enemies of, of the Lord and our people are not allowed here anymore. And they kicked them out. They fought against them. They said, enough is enough. We're not going to take this anymore. And we're going to stick with what God gave us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I'm not going to get too excited today because, you know, I'm just here to have a good time. Me and my microphone and my coffee and you all, and I'm just here. <laughs> To have a good time, but uh, who am I fooling? There are enemies within. The enemies are at the gates. There are wolves in sheep's clothing.
There are tears in God's field. It's been sneaking in in the 20s. And it's up to us to say enough's enough. We're going to judge this and we're not going to take this anymore. We need discernment in these last days. Yes, we do. We need discernment. We need to judge righteously. We need to stand up and say, no, no, no. We are not going to go this way. We are not going to go this route. We are not going to forsake the Lord. We are not going to forsake our apostolic fathers. We are not going to forsake the foundational things that were put into the very core of this movement, the oneness apostolic movement. And we're not going to compromise and we're not going to change. We're going to remain strong and uh, and uh, stick with it. We're going to do it for the church. We're going to do it for our country. We're going to do it for Almighty God. Is it going to be perfect? No. We will fail. We will struggle just like Samson. Samson was ordered to have a Nazarite vow. The Nazarites were commanded to keep their distance from death. Could not go to a, next to a dead body, whether human or an animal. Could not do it. Could not touch it. They were not to be uh, around any grapevine. Couldn't eat a grape. Couldn't drink from a grape. Nothing from a grapevine. And, and yeah, <laughs> tough back then. And then no razor to come upon the head. No razor to touch the body. They, uh, and it's debatable or not whether they could be sheared you know, with scissors, but one thing's for sure, no razor, no blade was to touch the skin. And what it was to do was to be a signal to everyone by these three major things, no death, no grapevine, no razor, that you were separated for God's holy service. Separated for God's holy service. A lot of it was cultural. A lot of it was contextual. A lot of it was Old Testament law. And maybe we'll get into uh, the meanings behind this uh, another time. But you know what it essentially was? A lot of these things were the convictions and practices and the lifestyle of the priests. And the priest lived it day in and day out in their life. But you know, the common man who wanted to separate himself unto God and act like a priest, live like a priest, uh, for a certain period of time, on average about six to eight months, from what I've read from uh, rabbinical history, couldn't go next to a dead body. Think about that. You had a loved one that passed away. No, nowhere near the funeral. Can't do it. Uh, eating, uh, eating and drinking from a grapevine. That was a staple back then. That's like saying no coffee, no Coke, no tea. Water only. Do you realize how difficult that is nowadays? <laughs> sure is. No razor. You think about that. All of us use a razor uh, on a regular basis. No razor. Guys and girls, no razor on your body for a length of time. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I will stop right there. <laughs> I am here to have a good time. <laughs> So you think about that. I, I, so, yeah, no, going to no death. No funerals. Can't go to a funeral. Something dies in your backyard, you can't go near it. you got to get somebody else to to, uh, to fix that up, okay? And nothing, uh, no, no, I'm drinking coffee right now. No coffee and podcasting. Duh! You talk about a separation. If Justin doesn't have coffee, something really bad happened, and he's on a fast, okay? And then a, a no razor on the body. Okay, the nose hair's got to go, the the ear hair's got to come out, the eyebrows, all of that. So, yeah, really not a whole lot of grooming, but it was a signal to everyone you were there for God's service. You know where Samson really failed in his life? I'm going to give you some, uh, some deep biblical insight. I think he failed at his Nazarite vow, 
And then some, that's in uh, the book of Numbers, and in, right next to that, in the Nazarite Valley, in the Bible, the book of Numbers, is the jealousy offering. The jealousy offering. So let's start with the Nazarite vow. Yeah, you can read about it in Numbers. I don't want to get into too many details, but understand this. The vow for some people was lifetime. Other Most people, though, it was seasonal. It's just like we don't fast for the rest of our lives, but it's seasonal. Uh, you don't pray for the rest of your life. Yeah, we pray without ceasing. You know, a lot of people still are confused about that. People say, well, I live a life of prayer. I always have prayer in my spirit. That's how I pray without ceasing. That's not what it means. It means you don't ever break the habit of prayer, meaning you pray every day. Not all day, not all the time, but you pray every day. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It means never break the habit. Because there's times in your life when you can't pray. Hey, when you're sleeping, oh, yes, oh, I'm just praying. Oh, yes, you're on the toilet. Oh, yes, I'm just praying. No, you're not. Okay? You pray without ceasing without breaking the habits. Okay? So the Nazarite vow was not lifetime for most people. Some it was, but for the most part, it was temporal. And what would happen is after your Nazarite vow, you came into the temple and they did a a ritual, a, re, a religious act where they shaved your head and burnt it, offered it unto the Lord. And it was pleasing to God and the vow was complete. Okay, Paul did this in the book of Acts, right? So did Samson uh, come to the temple and have the priest and all them gather around and do the, do the Old Testament law, the, the, the command of Moses to have a priest shave his head in the temple? No. Who shaved his head? Uh... Uh, 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 a Philistine mistress, a pagan woman, shaved his head, uh, betrayed him <laughs> for, for silver, okay, a pagan woman. So Samson did not follow the law of God. He failed at following the law of God to a T, okay? That's how he broke the law. Nazarites were supposed to shave their head in the temple with the priest. He shaved his head in the sack with a woman. That's how he broke the law. You then look at the jealousy offering. Now, th- this is interesting. This, this is interesting stuff. I don't, I've never heard anybody preach about it. As far as I know, I'm, I've got some sermons on it. I, I've never heard anybody preach about it. But the jealousy offering, essentially what would happen if, if a husband felt jealous for his wife, meaning he felt like there was another man involved in her life. She was having an affair, an adulteress, but he couldn't prove it, but he could feel it in his spirit, what he would do is take her to the priest and the priest would test her. And what he would do is get a bowl of water, scoop dust off the floor of the temple, drop that dust in the bowl of water and make her drink it. If she was innocent, she would be fine. But if she was guilty, she would develop a horrible sickness in, uh, and it, it says in her thighs. Uh, you can research what you think that might mean on your own terms. I'm not going to go into that. But it would become very, very sick and oftentimes barren, would never have children. And so, yeah, her, her sin would be found out in the drinking of that jealousy offering. Okay? Uh, so, yeah, she drinks it and, and she would become very sick in her thigh area. That was the jealousy offering. Well, Samson, his first wife, what happens? He becomes jealous over her. Becomes very jealous for her because she was given to another man. And what does he do? He uh, catches some foxes and and puts the some torches in their tails and sets them through the fields. And then he gets into a big fight with all the Philistines. And the Bible says he smote them hip and thigh. Smote them hip and thigh. 
In the Bible, in the commands of Moses, if a man was jealous for his wife, he brought his wife to the temple, and her thigh would swell and rot. But Samson doesn't bring the wife to the temple. Oh, no. Instead, he smites the hip and thigh of the men, the enemies uh, of, of the men that caused him trouble. So he doesn't follow the law to a T. He doesn't follow the law to a T. He doesn't. He fails. He absolutely fails. Well, how does he recover? The Bible says that his hair began to grow back on his head. It sure did. After he revealed his secret, after he revealed his secret to a woman that did not want to know the secret to know the powers of God, but rather how the, the power to defeat uh, Samson, her man. That's how he was brought down. You know, you think about it. Uh, our women, our uh, women's hair is different. Men's hair is different. We get questions about that. You know, girls, why don't you cut your hair? Men, why don't you have, you know, a big, big, long uh, hair? Why don't you look like a Rasta? And we got to tell them, well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that uh, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. And then Paul ends it by saying, if anybody wants to be contentious about this, we have no other custom in the church. You notice he doesn't say we have no other custom in, in the Greek church or the Jewish church or whatever. No. It was for everybody everywhere. It was a church custom because it's powerful in the spirit world for a man to cut his hair because Christ is upon his head. And then a woman has long hair because the power of her husband or, her, or the authority of the man in her life, whether it's her father, pastor, whatever. And, and you have angelic power over that. So uh, the apostolic church, we still follow that. A lot of other denominations don't. But you want to know why we're able to accomplish what we accomplished? It's because we follow the law to the T. Uh, if the Bible said shave your head in, in the temple, that's where we would shave our head. We wouldn't let a pagan woman that we're having uh, uh, you know, an affair with shave it. Uh, if, the, if the Bible said uh, come in to the temple and do the jealousy offering with dirt and water. That's how we would do it. We wouldn't go out and smite somebody else hip and thigh. We wouldn't do it that way. You follow the law of God to the, uh, the laws of God to the T you obey the Bible to the T you will win every time, but it's when you deviate from the laws of God and take the law into your own hand. Yeah. You know, there's no King. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. A generation that knows not the Lord. That's when you fail, 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 fail. And so why you see Samson and many of the judges, uh, failing, 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 because they did not perform the law as the law was written. You know, that book is still powerful, y'all. Jesus said heaven and earth is going to pass away, but the word of God, not even the punctuation is going to fail in that. You want to win with God, follow your Bible, know your Bible, live after your Bible. Uh, uh, your, your, your whole life should revolve around your Bible. Your church should revolve around your Bible. This podcast, it's a God and Bible and church podcast. Follow the laws of God. It's righteousness. <laughs> but the day you start saying, no, it's okay. We all mess up. It's a little, no, 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 no. That's where you're going to set back. That is where you're going to start to make horrible, horrible decisions and and fall deep down into the uh, toxic pit of sin. I'm speaking to you. It's time to come out and recover from all of that. That's right. You know, <sighs> Jesus one day comes out of the temple, and they bring a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her down, set him in front of him in the temple. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> Where does he get down? He gets down and starts uh, playing in the dirt. You know what he's doing there? 
I know some people that preach, my God, he wrote down sin in that dirt, and, and then he wiped away the dirt and wiped away her adultery. And I mean, all the adulterers and adulteresses come running to the altar and repent of their sins and their marriages are saved. I'd be, we praise God for that. But I like to preach the Bible for what it means and what it says. You know what's going on there? Jesus is saying, all right, fine. Uh, you want to talk about what the law says to do to stone? Let's also look at the law. How about the jealousy offering? That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, let's get some dust, some dirt, and let's have her drink it and see if it's real. And then maybe all of you can start drinking it and see whose thighs uh, start swelling up and rotting. <laughs> That's why they all walked out of there, because they knew their sins were about to be exposed because of the jealousy offering. He looks down. She's guilty. She knows it. God knows it. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. In other words, go recover. Go recover by sinning no more. That's how you recover. You stop your sins. You stop your sins. And thankfully she did. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's right. That's right. That's our Lord. Go your way and sin no more. Not I forgive you. It's okay. You can sin a little bit more and I'll still forgive you and, and come back and take advantage of my grace. No. Grace should be so powerful the first time you meet it, you never want to go back to sin. Grace is good enough for me. I never want to have to nail Jesus to a cross ever again. <laughs> you know, I, you know, enough's enough. Sin, sin is gone. I buried it when I got baptized. Devil can't go deep sea diving. I'm a new creature in Christ. That's how you're supposed to be. That's how you recover. And that's what Samson did at the very end of his life. He realized, I've got to recover. And so while he's pushing that grinding stone, he gets up next to those pillars and praise to the Lord. <laughs> While his hair grew back and the strength of the Lord came upon him one last time, he pushed down those pillars. <sighs> you know how many people died that day? It says 3,000. You know, it's an interesting pattern. Peter gets up after having failed miserably around the temple, confessing he doesn't even know the man. He gets up there and starts pushing down the barriers and the walls of religiosity and says, repent and be baptized and you will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you know how many people receive his word that day? 3,000 in that temple. Now, the Bible is full of so many amazing patterns like that. Praise God. And Samson fulfilled so many of those, and that's why he is a hero of the faith in the book of Hebrews. Yes, Samson failed, but his failures were not as bad as they could have been. He never committed adultery, which was punishable by death, by stoning. No, he only fornicated. There was no death penalty for that. If that happened, you had to take her to a wife, uh, and you provided the three major things, food, clothing, and shelter. If you didn't, you paid a certain sum to her and her father, and they wrote out a certificate and all of that. So Samson never committed adultery. He fornicated. No death penalty for that. Now, nowadays in the New Testament... Yeah, there's uh, greater consequences with adultery, but you better be sure fornicators and adulterers have the same eternal fate uh, and judgment in the lake of fire. So stay away from that, repent of that, get off that, and recover from it. But yeah, Samson uh, never crossed that line. There were certain things he did do, certain things he did not do. One of the things I like about Samson, he never blamed God and never blamed Israel for his failures. No. He didn't have the attitude, God and the church and Israel failed me, and they failed me. No, he realized, I'm the one who failed God. I'm the one who failed Israel. 
and that's how he was able to win in the end. I, uh, when I was in Bible college, I went to a youth rally, and they had some preacher get up there and said, Jesus committed suicide for you. <laughs> Just like Samson. Samson committed suicide there in the temple with the pillars. Jesus got on that cross and committed suicide for you. And, I mean, you talk about, like, letting the air out of a balloon. You talk about it went over like a turd in a punch bowl. There was nothing there in that service. And sometimes you'll see that and hear that. Preachers, you need to pay attention to if the Holy Ghost bears witness to what you're preaching, if it's true. I mean, there was zero move of God. You know why? Because Samson didn't commit suicide. He didn't take his life. He gave his life and died in battle. Jesus did not kill himself on the cross. He gave his life. He died in battle as a hero. (laughs) People trying to justify suicide. And and they're still trying to justify it uh, to this day. Samson did not kill himself. Jesus did not not kill himself. Uh, They died in battle. Then died in battle. So uh, coming back to the main idea, failing and recovering like Samson, how are you going to do it? I want to give you three things. You need to have a revival of the foundational things in your walk with God. You know, we're not on the Nazarite vow nowadays. Nowadays, when you commit yourself to Jesus, obey the full gospel, you are separated to him forever. And the life you now live should be as a witness and the testimony to everybody uh, what you do. And, you know, nowadays we can go to the dead and it, and it will be okay. It's sanctified. You and I, uh, there is no law against really anything. You and I can eat non-kosher food. Uh, Okay, and then we do have a a slight hair covenant with men and women that's a little different in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament Nazarite vows. But essentially, you got to remember what God said don't go near, what God said don't partake of, and uh, what God said to cut or not cut. You do those things, you will stand out and be separated to the Lord, and there's many things that apply uh, to that. Many things that apply to that. That's what Samson did. He got back to it, let his hair grow out, quit going near dead things, and certainly wasn't drinking anything from the vine. Right? Samson then prayed. He called out to God, put his faith in the Lord, and realized that his strength came from God. He prayed. And you know what? Samson didn't love his life. Instead, he lost his life. And as it were, took up his cross and followed God. That's what you need to do. That's how you recover from your spiritual failures. Have a revival of the foundational things in your walk with God. What set you apart in the beginning of this? What set you apart from this world? You stay separate from this world, you'll not fail with this world. Stay separate for God. Keep prayer without ceasing. Make it a habit every day to pray and call out to the Lord every day. And then lose yourself. Lose your life. Make it all about God, all about Him. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. And that, my friend is how you will fail and recover like Samson. Okay, we're here for the second segment, and uh, (laughs) we got a little bit excited in that first segment. I I almost (laughs) started screaming and yelling. I almost felt like uh, a Ukrainian guy. The uh, green T-shirt, Zelensky, who's up there screaming, <laughs> yelling, threatening Russia with everybody else's uh, weapons and power. But uh, yeah, sometimes you got to scream and yell to. I don't know. It's kind of therapeutic for me. But uh, there's just things going on that I see in the church at large that are really frustrating me, and uh, it helps to yell about it every once in a while. So 
I, if if you're sticking with me for the rest of this podcast, I know you're okay. But sometimes when I get like that, a little bombastic, I know it 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 really kind of uh, upsets certain girls and metrosexual men. And so if you've stuck it out, you are a true loyal listener, and you've got <laughs> strength and conviction in your life, and uh, you're fed up just as much as me. Anyway. I received a phenomenal message from a loyal listener, some great feedback. A little over nine months ago, I did some content about having children and told my own story about the birth of my children, particularly my third my third child, my baby boy, uh, this past November, and told the miraculous story of it and really gave some great, uh, I guess, some points about faith and how husbands and wife can bring children into this world because... Uh, having children is difficult. Having children is difficult. And every baby's a prayer baby. And I've received many, many messages from people who uh, are starting to have children from that. It, it, like, inspired them. They started to pray. And some uh, women who are barren, they all of a sudden, they're expecting now. <laughs> and so it is so neat to see the the ministry aspect of this podcast getting into the real lives of real people and believing uh, what we're saying and having hope in God for it and seeing it happen. There's nothing more motivating to make you pray than having answered prayer. You see how prayer works and it just poof, motivates it. So after you pray for a child and you have a child, I mean, it's like I will never cease from prayer ever again. I will always pray. And so a loyal listener contacted me. I'll just go ahead and say his name. I don't think he'd mind. Jesse McDonald. He and his wife welcomed their beautiful baby girl, Emerson, on August 25th, 2022. And uh, he told me that, like I said, every baby's a prayer baby. Something's going to go wrong. I, I tell you what, for those of you that have had babies, you know that the sound of, you know, the baby's heartbeat coming through that speaker while uh, the wife is, is there in, in the room. I mean, that's just such a, I mean, you want to hear the heartbeat, but that do 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 and the sound of all those machines, it's just like, I don't know. It's just scary sounding, right? But you got to look past all of that and get into the sounds of the Holy Ghost and, and pray for your wife and your baby uh, during that time. But he said there were complications that suddenly arose. The, the, the umbilical cord was around the baby's neck and this and that. And uh, Brother Jesse just started to pray. And it went before too long. Uh, he was holding that baby in his, in his hand, <laughs> in, his, in his arms, because God kept his hand upon that baby. But something that's really special for the McDonald's, this family, Jesse, his father-in-law, passed away earlier this year, May 5th, 2022. Very sad. My condolences to the family. I'm so sorry. But what is really special is the father-in-law who just passed away earlier this year, his birthday was on August 25th, and this beautiful baby girl was born on her grandpa's birthday. I mean, isn't that special? And I, I just don't think there's any way that's a coincidence to have a miracle child like this that they hope for a, a, a passing away in the family and then that baby is born on the, on the deceased birthday. I think that is just so special. And I want to say to the McDonald's, you know, um, my, my grandma, my grandma Marcella Dyson, I was probably closer to her than all of my grandparents. I spent the most time with her. She had a beautiful house, beautiful property, really a farm uh, uh, down in Arkansas. I went there every summer, Thanksgiving, Christmas, so many times throughout the year, and she was so special to me. 
She passed away in the fall of 2015, lived a long, great life. She's in heaven to this day, and I can't wait to be with her and the Lord and all of all of my grandparents someday. But when she was on her, on her deathbed, uh, she was coming in and out of consciousness. I was in the room alone with her, and only about three or four days before that, I'd walked into my house, and my wife, Sister G, had out three Bibles on the table. One that said Justin Gleason, one on the Bible that said Anna Gleason, and then another one engraved there on the Bible was Baby Gleason. <laughs> and that is how she announced to me that we were expecting our first baby. I'll never forget that. Such a great memory. I hadn't told anybody yet. My wife and I wanted to wait, you know, do the wait, like the, the eight to ten weeks, you know, to start telling people because, you know, anything can happen. Some people are like that. Some people tell them right away, you know, and they've they've got the uh, pregnancy test stick, you know, the plus sign, and they're waving it around, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Some people are like that. They don't care what anybody thinks about the P on the stick, right? But anyway, but some of us are a little more private. But anyway, I I held the hand of my grandmother, and the first person that I told that my wife and I were expecting was my grandma. She passed away a few days after that. Sorry, this is a touching emotional moment in my life, but I realized there in that moment that they come and they go. That's the way of all flesh. One generation passes and another generation arises. And to the McDonald's, God bless the memory of your of grandpa. But a new generation has come. New life is here and now. And everything is going to be okay. The hand of the Lord is upon baby Emerson, and I, I bless this baby. I bless this baby with health and with strength and with success. May the hand of the Lord be upon this child. Praise God. Amen, amen. Every baby's a prayer baby. And to you couples that are barren, you know what? Keep loving each other. Don't try to have kids. Love each other. Children are not born when you try to have them. They are born out of deep passion and deep love for each other. And so uh, keep joy in your marriage. Keep laughter in your marriage. Uh, keep the intimacy there. Keep the romance there. And you'll have a baby. That's, that's how the, the, the spark happens. I'm serious. That's how the spark happens between your seed and her seed. Boom. It's when love is there. That's what happens. Simple as that. That's the way God made it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, moving on, I want to bring up another talking point to you all. Okay. Uh, it's uh, the uh, the uh, time and season of Bible prophecy. The, the the feast of Israel are upon us. The the feast of trumpets here this week. Uh, so a few things that have come up. A prophetic update. Okay, not too long ago, Mikhail Gorbachev died. Now you remember, if any of you were into uh, Bible prophecy back in the eighties and nineties, so many guys were predicting that Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist. Uh, you got Irvin Baxter. God bless his memory. He taught. I remember as an eight, nine-year-old kid, him getting up there and showing pictures on the on the on the overhead of Mikhail Gorbachev, this big Russian dictator with a huge birthmark on his forehead. And he said, "See, that's a sign of the Antichrist, a mark on his forehead." And then talked about His Holiness the Pope saying Mikhail Gorbachev is a man who has iron teeth and. And my God, the beast, you know, has, you know, has iron teeth, you know, he's the Antichrist. And that, I don't know, my dad, Lee Stone King, 
Charles Mahaney, a lot of the other uh, prophecy teachers that I really esteemed highly all said, no, he's a Russian dictator, and a Russian dictator will never deceive Israel. They won't buy into it. He's not the Antichrist. Well, Brother Baxter sold a lot of books and preached a lot of conferences, and to his benefit, uh, walked out of there blessed and, and fared well to his benefit. And that's fine. God bless him for it. But he he, he propagated this idea that uh, Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. And it wasn't just him. There was other guys out there doing that. And it turned out to be a lie and be false. But, I mean, they had everybody convinced. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should start peddling and making money off people who I think is the Antichrist and, and sell books and get conferences. Who should I pick? <laughs> uh should I do Obama? No, that's too easy. <laughs> Who should I pick? It's the Antichrist. And squeeze everything about them into Bible prophecy and say, look, here we go. And do all that. No, I don't do that. You don't squeeze events into Bible prophecy. You let Bible prophecy be fulfilled. You know, I got to answer to God uh, someday. And I I don't want to get up there and, and do the Urban Baxter and say, it's almost certain let me tell you, that's not how prophets talk. Prophets say, thus saith the Lord. A true prophet doesn't say it's almost certain, or it could be. It almost could happen. You do that, it's nothing but fear and confusion. And, and oh, oh, I've got to quit. I but anyway, Mikhail Gorbachev died. I did not get one single phone call or text from anybody Saying, my God, is this the sign of the end? Mikhail Gorbachev is dead. Literally, nobody's talking about it. No hashtags. Gorbachev. None of, nothing. All people wanted to talk about was that commercial he did later on in his life after the Iron Curtain fell. Gorbachev is there eating pizza at Pizza Hut. <laughs> How great capitalism is, you know. <laughs> it's great. All right, but no more Gorbachev. But uh, God rest her soul. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II has passed from this life. Uh, God save the queen, right? Queen Elizabeth. And everybody is talking about it. They're still talking about it. It's like the number one talking point still in the news, and people are still uh, posting about it and, and, and mourning her loss. Look, I thought Elizabeth was a force of good in the earth. I always did. And what I mean by that is she never did anything to open the doors for the Antichrist global agenda. She was a nationalist, believed in Great Britain, put Great Britain first and always, and did everything she could to try to keep her family together to be a model family, a royal model family for the world. I mean, you know, her, the story of how she, she met and married uh, Prince, is it Philip? I think, I can't remember. I might be wrong on that. I mean, uh, you look at pictures of them when they were young. I mean, just a radiant, dashing couple. I mean, just you know, very sweet, very special. But obviously, I'm sure there's some darkness behind uh, the royal family and her generation that she's not proud of, or maybe she was proud of but didn't want anybody to know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not into it. You know, my, my mother, my grand, grand, both my grandmothers, my aunts, every, every woman close to me, my sisters, all of that, they love that royal family. I know for a fact they watched uh, the the marriage of uh, William and Kate. I mean, who didn't? I mean, that marriage was spectacular. Now, Harry and Meghan, I don't know. I think that guy married down. And, I mean, I, I shouldn't feel that way. She's an American after all. And, and uh, uh, Markle, she's, I mean, made great 
uh, Hallmark movies and stuff. Good, you know, all of that. But it's just weird, and already we're seeing the weirdness of it uh, playing out. So Harry, well, we haven't seen the last of the blunders and fails of 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 Harry. Right, but uh, William, he is sharp. William and Kate, I'm ready for William and Kate to get on the throne. But in the meantime, we've got now formerly Prince Charles. We now have King Charles. <laughs> and I, I got to admit, I've been a little worried about Charles. You remember, uh, he was a, a big climate change guy up there predicting that uh, we have only like, you know, like 10 years ago, he was up there, uh, you know, when people are up there giving speech after speech about uh, climate change and, and, the environment stuff. He gets up there and says, we only had 10 years, 10 years until all of our fresh water is depleted and things like this. And he's up there on the stage with uh, African dictators and talking about the, the problems of their countries and stuff and going on and on and on and on about climate change. Just, just obsessed with it, right? Then, then you know, he painted the paintings and there's uh, videos of him uh, falling off his polo horses and then uh, losing all his girlfriends and the Diana thing and the the affair thing, then the re, the marrying of that one lady. Now she's his queen or whatever. And you know, uh, there's people that love the royal family. Then there's some people that legit hate the royal family, and a lot of it's coming from America. I think just as a whole, we can't stand it because we revolted from all of that, right? You know, George and England and all of that. We got our independence. Some people just view the royal family as a bunch of inbred descendants. Living off the largesse of uh, their ancestors, right? But you got to admit, uh, d- don't hate your enemies. Don't hate them. It'll affect your judgment. But love your enemies, as Jesus Christ taught us. But I, I've been praying for London, and i tell you why. Uh, you want to know what city rules the world? Look it up. It's not Los Angeles. It's not New York. Uh, I wish it was Kansas City, but it's not. <laughs> It's not Beijing. It's not Hong Kong. It is not Mumbai. It's not Moscow. It's not Rome. It's not. It's not Paris. You know what city is the greatest city of influence and power in the world? It's London. That's right. It is still London. And uh, running out of time here, but I'll just say this. Maybe you look it up. It's a city on seven hills. Oh, that's prophetic. I've been praying for it. We'll see what uh, King Charles will do. Maybe the Lord will turn his heart to be as his mother and remain a nation of nationalism and uh, not go along with the socialist new world order. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm I, I'm looking for, forward to William and Kate. I think they're, they're going to do a lot of good someday. Anyway, all right, I love all of you. Stay prayed up. We'll talk to you again sometime. 